0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you all here. Um... Today, as per usual, we're going to be continuing through our sermon series through 1 Corinthians and this morning we find ourselves in chapter 9 and we're going to be starting from verse 19 and reading through to 27 and uh, it'll actually be just uh, right along the same lines as what Brad was talking about and kind of continuing what we were talking about last week as well. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up to 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27 and if not, it's going to be available on the screen behind me as well. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? So as we just witnessed um, with the candle lighting earlier in the service, Advent season has begun. And uh, for me, while this has primarily always been a celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as it should be, It's, it's also been a season of, you know, gathering together as a family. In fact, in my immediate extended family alone, there are at least seven birthdays, maybe more. I didn't really count that closely, but at least seven birthdays within a month of Christmas on, on either side of Christmas. So starting from the end of November to into January. Uh, so including Christmas Day and New Year's Eve, there are a lot of family get-togethers going on. And when it comes, comes to these family get-togethers, one of the expectations Audrey and I have tried to inst tried, tried is the word there, tried to instill in our children, which is the same expectation that, that our parents instilled in us, is that when you go to somebody else's house for a meal, the respectful and polite thing to do is to eat what's put on your plate. Don't like the flavor? Doesn't matter. Just eat it without complaining. Don't like the texture? Doesn't matter. Eat it without gagging, right? It's not not macaroni and cheese? What? Doesn't matter. You know, put it in your mouth, chew it, swallow it, and say, thank you. Wash it down with some juice or whatever if you need to. Just just please don't be rude, right? Because, Because doing so hurts the people's feelings who made the food, right? And and to be honest, it also makes us as parents look bad, right? Uh, they represent us, right? And uh, so all we're asking of our kids is that for just one evening, uh, that they set aside their personal preferences in order to accommodate those they're visiting with. And at the risk of oversimplifying the passage this morning, this is, this is kind of what Paul is saying here. Right? He's saying that for the sake of the gospel and as an ambassador of Christ— He's going to accommodate for those who who he's trying to reach. Become all things to all people. So he says whenever he's ministering to and hanging out with Jews, he's going to to eat what they eat, and he's going to acquiesce to their customs according to the Mosaic laws, even though he knows that because of Jesus' grace, he doesn't have to do that anymore to be saved. He doesn't have to be under the law anymore. Jesus alone has saved him. But yet he's willing to do that still, in order to respect them and not offend them, also that he can have an opportunity to reach them with the gospel. And when he's with the Gentiles, same thing. He's going to eat what they eat and dress like they dress in order to relate to them and not offend them, also that he can reach them with the gospel. And, and, and even when he's with believers who are still weak in conscience, those, those who haven't yet fully discovered or stepped into all the freedoms in Christ like we discussed last week, he's going to set aside his own freedoms like eating meat if he has to in order to respect them and, and not create a burden or barrier but rather an opportunity so he can further teach them and proclaim the depths of the gospel to them. And really, this is like this is missiology and evangelism 101. As, uh, as John MacArthur writes, you gain the right to speak the truth by accommodating yourself. If you go in and offend those people, you lose that. You gain the right to speak the truth by accommodating yourself. If you go in and offend those people, you lose that. For example, we could go over to the festival square over here right now and we could ask the soccer fans to turn it down because we're trying to have a church service, right? But if we did that, the only thing we'd accomplish is offending them, right? And giving them the impression that us Christians only care about ourselves and that would definitely ruin any chance of any of them ever wanting to hear anything else we'd have to say, wouldn't it? If we go in offending them, we lose the opportunity to preach the gospel. Um, as a, a pastor I followed on Instagram posted the other day, it, it really he says it really is a curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you are trying to convert to Jesus. <laughs> right? How, how true is that? Right? If 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 we go in offending people unnecessarily, we're not gonna reach them. And and so again, Paul understands that to reach certain people, groups, and, and demographics with the saving message of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to adapt and be flexible with our approach. We need to do it in such a way where we can identify with and show respect to those we're reaching, but just as importantly, also prove to them that they, that they truly matter to us by how we love and serve them. But of course, to do this, he says, we'll have to be willing to set aside some of our own preferences and comforts, and freedoms, and opinions. This is this is the mind of Christ, though. This is what it means to consider others as more significant than ourselves, as we're encouraged to do in Philippians. And, and this is already what Jesus did for us. He met each of us where we were at. Right. He set aside his freedoms in order to sit at the table with sinners and die at the cross for them. So in the same way, and, and, and like we learned last week, we also need to be willing to say, you know, I'm not going to do or say something, even though I have every right to, if doing so might offend somebody and hinder my ability to share the gospel with them. Of course, with that being said, the gospel message in and of itself can sometimes be received as offensive since it calls out sinners to repentance. And so we need to make sure we don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here. He's, he's certainly not suggesting that he's going to change or water down the message of the cross you know, in, in order to make it seem less offensive or seem more palatable or something like that. That would defeat the whole purpose because if it's not the full gospel message being preached, then how would people be able to truly receive it? So he's not talking about you know, make, trying to make the gospel less offensive. What he's saying instead is that he's willing to adapt his methods Of relating to others in order to make sure he doesn't disqualify himself in their eyes before he even has a chance to share the gospel with them. So let's read these, 1 Corinthians 9, let's read 19 and 23 again. He says, For though I am free from all, so he's free in Christ, right? He's free from all. He says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And then he says in 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So hopefully you're all seeing a theme here. Paul's number one goal in his life is to tell people about Jesus' saving grace. To tell them. That through the power of his death and resurrection, Jesus freely forgives sinners who believe in his name by faith. That he lovingly rescues them from the clutches of hell and raises them up into everlasting life with God the Father. This is Paul's goal in life. This this is why he proclaims in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek and, and so again, in order to ensure that he has an opportunity to, to share this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, he's willing to be all things to all people. He's willing and ready to do whatever it takes to do it. That is, as, as long as it isn't sinful or, or, or beyond the bounds of keeping within the law of Christ. That's, that's important to remember. But more than that, he's actually, he says he's willing to become like Christ. That is a servant to those he's ministering to. He's willing to deny himself and set aside his own liberties and self-interest and comforts in order to win others to Jesus. In fact, it's, it's his freedom in Christ which, which empowers and enables him to do that, to submit to others for their good. He knows he's free in Christ. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to fight for it. And so he's willing to, to become a servant to others. On that end, I I read a story once of a a former Muslim man who who had recently converted to Christianity. And and one day he was offered a ham sandwich at a church picnic, which he refused to eat. And and, and the person offering offering it to him said, don't worry, you're free in Christ to eat that now. But to that, this man replied, yes, I know, but I also know that if I eat it, I'll have to tell my Muslim parents about it. And once they find out, I'll become unclean in their eyes, and they'll never let me back in their house, which would then prevent me of of any further opportunity of sharing the gospel with them and the rest of my family. So this is a good example. So yes, this man knew he was free in Christ, but for the sake of remaining able to share the gospel and see his family saved one day, he was ready to set aside his liberties so that he didn't offend them or disqualify himself in front of them. And Paul says it this way in, in 2 Timothy 2, 8-10. He says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering. And have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained, so I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. He's willing to endure anything if it can help bring the message of salvation and glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. He's willing to do anything, anything, anything for you. It's a little... uh, Diddy from the musical Oliver. It's one of my faves. Thank you. You didn't see that coming, did you? Um, right? He's, he's willing to do whatever it takes. He's willing to do whatever he has to give up or go through. Jail, suffering, persecution, mocking, rejection, not eating certain foods, eating certain foods, right? Whatever it takes. He's, he's willing to sacrifice his preferences and immediate pleasures and even his life for eternal gains. Can we say the same? Can we say the same? Can we honestly say that the number one priority in our lives is sharing the good news of Jesus with others? can we honestly say that, that we're willing and ready to deny ourselves and sacrifice our personal liberties if that's what it takes for them to hear it? For any confessing Christian here in this room, the answer for both of those questions should be a resounding yes. It should be. Because this is the race that we've been called to run to win people to Christ. And to that end, Paul writes, the only reason people enter into a race is to try and win it. Right? Imagine if uh, Canadian 100-meter sprinter Andre de Grasse was being interviewed at the Olympics before his race and, and, and he was asked what his expectations are and then he answers and he says, well, you know, I'm not really here to try my best and win. I'm just, you know, I'm just happy to have qualified for the Olympics. And so from here on out, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. I'm just going to enjoy the atmosphere. Maybe take a few selfies at the 50th meter. You know, we'd be like, what? That, because that would be ludicrous. Why, why would you enter a race if you're not going to try to win it? But yet, doesn't that describe way too many Christians today? We're not really running to win. We're basically just coasting through it. So Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may receive it. Of course, the Corinthians would have been very familiar with athletes running races because every two years, there was a sports event called the Isthmian Games, it's not hard to say, which was held on the Isthmus Passage just outside of Corinth. Sounds like I have a lisp. And, and uh, it was kind of like the Olympics, and, and like the Olympics, which was held in Greece every four years, the prize for the winners of these games was also a wreath fashioned to a crown that, they, that the winners would receive. So specifically for these games go, the, these games, though, the wreath was made out of pine branches, which was in reverence uh, somehow for the Greek god Poseidon, who was the patron god of the city of Corinth. And, and on that end, Paul writes to them, and, and he says, "Look, look at all these athletes. They, they train and, and, and they discipline their bodies. And they practice self control with their diets, and and they they push themselves to the limit, and they follow the rules, all in order to win this perishable pine branch. They, they, They give all they are for this prize that will eventually shrivel up and die. So, shouldn't we then, as Christians, be willing to do even that much more since we know our prize is an imperishable one? Shouldn't we? In, in another letter to the church in Corinth, Paul would remind them again from 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to 11. He reminds them, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So one day, when Jesus returns in triumphant victory to restore all things and gather up his bride, right every single person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ where where Jesus will take an account of everything we've done. And the, the Greek word... Uh, Paul uses here for, for judgment seat is Bematos, or Bematos. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Ask Peter. Uh, <laughs> so this is the Bema seat, right? The, in, in, in Greco-Roman cultures, this is the seat uh, that the city judge or orator would sit on to judge civilian matters, and also during the games, it's where they would sit to hand out rewards to the athletes. In synagogues, there's, it's also called a Bema seat, and it's the, it's the used as a place to read the Torah, uh, I actually have a picture of some the ruins of the Bema. If you want to throw those up there, throw that up there, Elden. That's another picture from Peter Panconen. Thank you, Peter. Uh, that's the Bema, the ruins of it. Anyway, so that's what they would have had in mind when Paul talks about the judgment seat. And Paul's using that image to explain to us as believers that one day we'll stand before the righteous judge, and he'll take an account of us and, and reward us accordingly. Of course, first of all, we need to remember as Christians, we can stand fully confident that we'll receive the crown of life on that day because Jesus has already won it for us at the cross where he died for our sins. And so we know that we're saved not by works but by grace alone. So we can be confident in that. This isn't about salvation. But, but this also means that then that this reward or crown which Paul's speaking of here This prize at the end of the race is based on what we've done with the life we've been given. As Warren Wiersbe writes, the, the Christian does not run the race in order to get to heaven. He is in the race because he has been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And this crown is given to those who discipline themselves for the sake of serving Christ and winning lost souls. This race is about fulfilling the Great Commission. It's about making disciples of all nations. It's about persuading others to believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And, and, so, and Paul's telling us here, if, if this race truly matters to us, and it should, because through Christ we're all participants in it, we're all signed up, we're all in it, so it should matter, then it's going to take three things specifically. Number one, setting our eyes on the goal. Number two, denying ourselves for the sake of others. And number three, practicing self-control in our lives. So let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27. He says, so this is how I run. Not without a clear goal in sight. I fight like a boxer in the ring. Not, not like someone who is shadow boxing. Rather, I'm landing punches on my own body and subduing it like a slave. I do this to be sure that I myself won't be disqualified after preaching to others. So again, what's the, what's the goal for every believer? To, to, you know, cuddle up in a blanket with a coffee and a Bible each morning for their personal devotions? No! That's all fine and good, but that's not the goal. The goal is to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. With the knowledge that one day we're going to stand before that judgment seat of Christ, our desire should be to persuade others and win others for salvation through Jesus, right? That's the prize we're striving for on that last day. To hear those words from our Lord and Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. And if that's truly our goal, then then the next question is, what are we willing to do to accomplish it? So Paul switches sports analogies at this point and now refers to himself as like a boxer. But, you know, but not one that's, you know, flailing his arms about aimlessly, right? But one who lands punches on his own body. He's, He's talking about disciplining himself. In mind, body, and soul. Training himself so that he's ready to do whatever it takes to advance the gospel. So, if you ask any of the, the athletes, the soccer players competing in the World Cup right now, you'll, you'll find that, that in order to prepare for it, they had to practice both self-denial and self-control, didn't they? Denying, denying themselves of, of certain things and activities, sacrificing time to work out and train while also giving up unhealthy foods and only eating healthy ones and on and on and on, right? All in order to, to ensure their bodies remained in and, and tip-top shape in order to, to, to ensure they were prepared to, to take part in the World Cup and to excel, right? And in the same way, in order for us to run this race as well, we as believers also, be, also need to be willing to sacrifice certain things and freedoms and comforts for the sake of advancing the gospel. And we also need to be disciplined in our faith, with our time, with our biblical studies, with our prayer lives, with our fellowship with our good works, and, and in being intentional with sharing the gospel with others. We need to be disciplined in those things, because the reality is, is, that, is that if we're not willing to give up certain freedoms and, and are only uh, concerned with serving ourselves, rather than, than serving others, and, and, and if we're not committed to these spiritual disciplines and, and, and instead slacking off in, in our walk with Christ, we're not going to be winning this race. Worse yet, we're going to end up disqualifying ourselves from even competing as we, as we slip into sin, apathy, and hypocrisy. John MacArthur again writes that, he says, the strenuous self-control of the athlete for a fleeting reward is a rebuke to a half-hearted, flabby Christian. I mean, why can't we discipline and control ourselves to the ends that are meaningful? You know, an athlete has the right to eat a chocolate sundae before he runs the 100-yard dash. That's his privilege. Not smart. And if he doesn't sacrifice that right, he's in trouble. It isn't wrong. It's just not smart. It just cuts him down, and he can't win. Listen, the reckless, flabby Corinthians thought they could indulge their liberties to the hilt. While the devoted apostle was engaged in a life of self-denial and self-control to gain entrance for the gospel in the hearts of men. And he sets for us the model of how we ought to live. Evangelism doesn't just come by accident. It comes to those who are ready to be used of God. Evangelism doesn't just come by accident. It comes to those who are ready. Ready. Is the key word there to be used of God, and I think, like the Corinthians, generally speaking, I think too many of us believers today have lost sight of the goal, so we've become lazy in our faith, too comfortable in our lives. We've become unwilling to set aside our personal liberties and more concerned with spouting off our self-serving opinions about morals and politics and the like while removing any chance at gaining a seat at a table with unbelievers or with those whose lifestyles don't agree with ours. We've become more inclined to please ourselves rather than choose to empty ourselves and wash the feet of those who are suffering or enslaved to sin. We've become undisciplined in our spiritual disciplines. We're barely generous with our time and our money. Our Bibles often just sit on the shelf collecting dust, while the only prayer hands we ever see are the prayer hands emojis while we're wasting time on our smartphones. We come to church for our own entertainment and to get filled, and we think in doing so we're running the race well, so we pat ourselves on the back, but the truth is we're barely running the race at all from Monday to Saturday. Too many of us have have lost sight of the glorious truth that the God of the universe has, has rescued us from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and has invited us and filled us with his spirit to partner with him in proclaiming that same gospel of the kingdom of God to a dying world of lost souls who need Jesus Christ. Think about that. God, the Alpha and Omega, the creator of the universe, he has invited us to partner with him. He doesn't need us, but yet he's chosen us to be his vessels and his ambassadors on this earth. That is incredible. That is incredible. But what are we doing with that? What, what are we willing to sacrifice and give up to take part in that? If this race matters to us, we should run to win it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this is the life of the Christian. Growing in Christ, preparing ourselves to share the gospel, and making sure that we do it with gentleness and respect. That's that's, that's the race. And again, this all takes discipline, it takes sacrifice, it takes setting aside our own freedoms for the sake of others. There's a story about, uh, a true story about two Moravian missionaries named Johann Leonard Dober and David Nieschman, who were called in the year 1732 to minister to the African slaves on the islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix in the Danish West Indies. And allegedly, when they were told that they were not allowed to do such a thing, they decided to sell themselves to a slave owner and become slaves themselves if that was the only way to reach them. And they tried to do that, but it turned out this didn't actually work since they were white and they weren't allowed to be slaves. So instead, they managed to get hired on as woodworkers and laborers in that camp so that they could at least work among the slaves and therefore still gain that opportunity to to minister the gospel to them. The moral of the story here is that in order to reach the slaves, they were willing to set aside their liberties and become slaves themselves. To the slaves, they were willing to become as slaves. This is our call as believers. To set aside, I keep saying it, but I have to keep saying it, to set aside our freedoms and our liberties and our comforts and our opinions in order to become servants to all for the sake of the gospel. We're called to meet people where they at, to be all things to all people, to use whatever means necessary. This is the race we're all running in. And to finish well, we must deny ourselves and pick up our cross. For this is what Jesus has already done for us. 1 John 3.16 it says by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. What's the response? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus set aside his nature and humbled himself by becoming like us, born as a as a baby <laughs> in a manger. He humbled himself by becoming like us. For us humans, he became human. And not only that, but he did it to become a servant to all. He set aside his glory and he surrendered his very life for our sin. He met each one of us where we were at and then laid down his life to save us. And so we ought to do the same thing. We ought to lay down our lives so that we can see other people being saved. This is the way of love. This is the race we're running. So let's run that we might receive the prize. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that during this season of Advent, we are reminded that Jesus came to dwell with us. That he came to be God with us. That to rescue us humans, he became human. That he came to be servant of all. That he came to rescue us from our sins. And to do that, he laid down his very life. So Lord, as we consider that, as we, as we think of that, as we, as we ponder and, and marvel at what Jesus has done for us. Lord, let it be a reminder for us that we ought to do the same thing. Lord, that because you have rescued us and saved us and freed us from the bonds of sin and slavery to the law, Lord God, that our desire should be to see others experience the same thing. That because we know your love, our desire should be for others to also experience your love. Lord, I thank you that you've called us, us sinners, to to partner with you. And I pray that we would take that seriously. That we would take that to heart. That we wouldn't squander this opportunity, this call that you've given us, Lord but you would teach us to be disciplined. That you would give us the grace and the strength to to be able to deny ourselves so that we can become all things to all people so that we might win them to you. And Lord, I repent when I haven't done that. May we all have hearts of repentance for when we've considered ourselves above others rather than laying down our lives for them, as you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.